0: Good morning. So glad you're with us. Those in person, those joining us online, so glad that you are here today. If you haven't had a chance, go ahead and fill out the online connect card. It's uh, in the YouVersion app if you're in the Bible app. or uh, We would love for you to let us know that you're worshiping with us or send prayer requests or questions that you have uh, for our church. Um, but glad that you're worshiping with us. Hey, listen, we, we had... I had such fun playing Would You Rather last Sunday. I decided to do it again uh, on this Sunday, so kind of get mentally prepared for that. If you weren't here last Sunday, we are in a series called Would You Rather, and the Would You Rather game you've probably played is if somebody gives you two options and you answer which well which you would rather right i'm going to i'm going to give you two options i'm going to give you like 3.2 seconds and then i'm going to ask you to vote by raising your hands this is this is really easy okay this is the simple part of the message if i lose you here it's going to be a long morning so here we go this is number 1 would you rather give up air conditioning and heating for the rest of your life or the internet For the rest of your life. Think about it. 3.2 seconds. you'd rather give up air conditioning and heat, think about the last couple of weeks before you answer. Air conditioning and heating or the internet. How many of you would give up air conditioning and heating to keep the internet? (laughs) I've been surprised at how small a number of people have said that. The rest of you, you'd give up the internet and keep air conditioning and heating. Yes. Yes, we live in Georgia. We certainly do. And it's miserable this time of year. So, uh, yeah, good. All right, let's, let's do another one. Would you rather buy 10 things you don't need every time you go to the store or always forget the one thing you really need? Now, my wife would say that I already buy 10 things I don't need every time I go to the store. Most of them are in the shape of cookies Uh, or M&Ms, or Almond Joys, or anything chocolate or dark chocolate. Yeah, I I bring home things that we don't need. I mean, who says what we need and don't need after all? How many of you would rather buy 10 things you don't need as long as you get the one thing you really need? How many of you would rather forget the one thing you need? Yes. well, some of the students. That makes perfect sense. Um, Next... Would you rather be the funniest person in the room or the smartest person in the room? Think about it for just a minute. There's a gathering, you're invited, you walk in. You can be one of two. You can be the funniest person in the room, you can be the smartest person in the room. If you're telling the people around you that you're both, that's a problem. I saw that. Yes. How many of you would rather be the funniest person in the room? How many of you would rather be the smartest person in the room? <laughs> okay. Uh, one more. Would you rather earn a million dollars over your lifetime or be given a million dollars today? Would you rather earn a million dollars over your lifetime, be given a million dollars today today? how many of you would rather earn a million dollars over your lifetime? Yep. Yep. That's about the percentage breakdown in the first service. How many of you would just rather get the check today, go straight to the bank, do not pass go, do not collect $200 because you have a million dollars, right? Yeah, I think that is so true. You know, you, you, um, you think about lottery winners and they get that option of payments or or get all the money right now. And, and probably most of us think, well, I would get all the money right now. I want all the money right now. But here's the thing uh, about the, uh, the world that we live in, the, the society that we live in. We do emphasize, we do value and, and prioritize working for what you get, right? And, and th- those are good principles. We, we value um, a day's work for a day's pay. Right, things that we want to maybe teach our kids. Um, we, we teach our kids money doesn't grow on trees, right? You, you have to put in the work to get the compensation. You, you, you have to use skill and you have to give your time and then they're going to give you a paycheck, but nothing's for free, right? We, we, we teach our kids maybe that principle as well. And, and then on the other side of that uh, transactional idea we believe a person should be fairly compensated. At least in principle, we we think everybody should be fairly compensated for the work that they do. And if somebody does the work, they should be fairly compensated. It doesn't always work out that way in our society. But I think in principle, most of us say, regardless of who you are, your race, your gender, whatever, regardless, you should be compensated uh, equal to the work that you have given. And these are... These are good principles. It, to some degree, these are biblical principles. The, the Bible affirms and teaches uh, this work ethic. Uh, over in the New Testament, at one point, uh, the Bible says if a person doesn't work, then they shouldn't eat. And that's kind of a harsh way of saying you shouldn't expect something for nothing. You, you, you should, If you're able to work, you should go to work and you should earn a wage and then you should use that to provide for yourself. Another place in the New Testament Uh, says that if you don't provide for your family, then you have wandered from the faith. That's the the phrase that's used. If you don't provide for your family, you've wandered from the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Uh, So the Bible has some teaching on worth ec- ethic and and the value of working and compensation, Paul says at one point you should work and earn a wage so that you can be generous, so that you can help people who are struggling uh, work, earn a wage, so then you're able to be a giver. Over in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs frequently develops this idea of a good work ethic, or showing up on time, or or saving for the future, storing away, working hard now for something that you're going to be able to enjoy later. Good life lessons, if you're a parent, these are lessons you want your children to know, you want them to internalize. If you're a grandparent, you want your grandchildren to learn these lessons. If you have nieces and nephews, kids you care about, you want them to learn what we say the value of a dollar, uh, hard work, uh, applying yourself. But there's kind of another side to that principle that may not be quite as as positive. Um, because we have this societal and in some ways biblical idea of work for what you get, sometimes uh, some of us struggle with receiving a gift. Do you ever... F- Don't raise your hand and don't point at anybody, but do you ever feel awkward when somebody gives you something, especially if it's extravagant or if it's for no reason, right? It's not your birthday. It's not a special day. It's not Christmas. It's not some big day where people are giving gifts. Somebody just shows up and gives you something. Do you ever feel a little awkward as to why are you giving me this? Pause for just a point of personal privilege. Because I have the microphone and I get to do this. Uh, Speaking of special days, uh, today is uh, the 29th anniversary of Julie putting up with me. Today is our wedding anniversary. She's in the back. Yes, she deserves all of that applause for putting up with me for 29 years. So uh, grateful for her and what she means to me. So today's a special day for us, but just like not a special day and somebody gives you a gift that you weren 't expecting sometimes sometimes we start thinking, okay, well how should I give them a more extravagant like you know, how should I balance this out? Christmas is that way you, you have that moment at Christmas where somebody gives you a gift, and you didn't know we were exchanging gifts, and we didn't we didn't draw i didn 't draw your name you didn't draw my name, like, why did you get me a gift?' And then you immediately begin to think, okay, I've got to run out and get a gift to give it to them so that it's fair or run down to the basement and re-gift something really fast. Like I thought of it and I wanted you to have this. The, the worst at Christmas is the Christmas Eve gift. Like if that happens to you on Christmas Eve and all the stores are closed, right? What do you do? You can't balance it out. Sometimes when people do something Uh, extravagant for us or unexpected for us when when we get a gift we immediately go into well I need to do something to balance this I need to do something for them and and honestly sometimes that's the right move I'm not saying you should never do this sometimes we should respond in kind to the generosity Of somebody else, but the the idea of a gift being a gift is that you receive it without paying for it. You know, we could even say that when we try to earn a gift or balance out a gift, the gift ceases to be a gift. When we try to earn a gift or pay for a gift or match the gift that somebody gave us, the gift is no longer a gift. It's a transaction between you and me. You got me something and I paid you back. Uh, I, I think we understand this if I, if I put it in the most obvious and, and crass illustration. If somebody gave you a gift today and wanted you to open it and you opened it in front of them and said, oh, thank you so much. Like, what was this, like 30 bucks? Let me just give you 30 bucks. Like We know that's not the point of a gift. We know that paying for the gift causes it to stop being a gift. But but sometimes we have difficulty just receiving a gift as a gift without some desire to pay it back. The appropriate response to a gift is not to try to pay it back, not to try to even it up. The appropriate response to a gift is to just receive the gift with gratitude, just with humility that you would think of me, that thank you so much. Uh, The appropriate response to a gift is just to to receive it with gratitude and humility. Uh, To to realize that the nature of a gift is you don't pay it back. You don't try to one-up them. You don't try to balance the scale. Somebody's being generous to you. Receive it with a heart of gratitude as a gift. Now, the spiritual life... salvation is a term that we use. We we call it the gospel, the core of what the Bible is all about. The, The center of the spiritual life is about a gift. It's about something that we can't earn or gain or do something for. It is about a gift that we're given and then our response is not, okay, how do we balance it out? Our response is to receive it with gratitude and And even though this is the core of the message of the Bible, I think a lot of people still get confused about this. Uh, In in our transactional mindset, we get confused about what the spiritual life is and and, and how salvation happens and and what God does for us through Jesus. And some of it, again, is, is because we're in this society of transaction paying for everything that we get. Some of it may be in how we read the Bible. The Bible is full of commands and laws and principles, right? And and those commands and laws and principles in themselves are a gift to us. It's God's way of saying, I made you. I made every person. I made the whole universe. And I know how your life is going to be the most fulfilling. I, I, I know... How you're going to avoid wrecking your life and your relationships because I made you. I I know how all of this works. So let me give you some principles to live by. Your life is going to work way better if you don't cheat on your spouse. It's just going to work way better. Your life is going to work better if you don't steal from somebody. If you're honest. Right? If you're a person of integrity. So God gives these principles as a gift to us to say, look, your life is going to go so much, but it's going to be more meaningful. It's going to be more fulfilling. You're going to have less problems if you follow these principles. It would have been unloving in a way for God to say, look, I know how your life works, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to let you figure it out. Hope you don't wreck too much in the process. And that, would have, that would have been unloving for, for God to say to us. Instead, God says, I have, I have guidance for you. I have principles for you. I have, call them commands, call them laws, call them whatever you want. These are a gift to you because your life is going to be so much more fulfilling if you stay within these parameters. But what happens is, some of us look at all of those that list, all of the commands and do's and don'ts, And we think, because of the transactional nature of our lives, we think, well, this must be how I make God happy. This must be how I get to heaven. This is the checklist I need to follow in order to be in relationship with God. We view it rather than as a gift, we view it as a a scale to balance. I need to do enough of these good things to balance out the bad things in my life so that God will be happy with me. I need to do enough of these good things to balance out the bad things so that when I die, I'll go to heaven and not the really bad place. God will let me in because my scale balances. My score is high enough. Any of you, uh, this is like 80s kids, every, any, any of you play Pac-Man, like at the, uh, the, at the roller skating place, and you always wanted to have the high score, or Galaga, or any of those video games, and you always wanted to get the high score? Some of us approach our spiritual lives like we're trying to get the high score. Like, I do a little bit more, well, I don't know if I rank high enough To get into heaven. I don't know if I'm ranking high enough to be in relationship with God. Sometimes we treat God and our relationship to Him as a score or a transaction or as a way to balance out the good-bad scale. But that's not at all what the gospel is about. That's not what the message of the Bible is about. Now the truth is, it is what every other religion is about. Every other religion in some form teaches that you have to do enough good things to balance out your bad things. Your score, your good score has to be high enough in order for you to get in. But that's not the message of Christianity. The, The Christianity that you came to To hear about today, the Christianity that we sang about, the God that we sang about a few minutes ago, that's not how He looks at us. That's not how He interacts with us. Paul uh, was uh, a missionary, a church planter in the New Testament. He, He wrote much of the New Testament. And Paul was at one time on kind of the pac-man strategy of religion he was on the galaga strategy where he was trying to get all the points he was trying to do all the right things and he did like paul did all the things all the good things that religion said you were supposed to do paul felt like he was doing all of them he had the highest score when it came to religion and then one day jesus appears to paul and this was after jesus had died and And risen from the grave and gone back to heaven. But Jesus comes down and meets Paul face to face and confronts him. And Paul realizes he's been going about it the wrong way the whole time. And then he begins to write about it. His life is changed by this news from Jesus. I'm going to be reading in Ephesians. It's one of the New Testament books that Paul wrote over in the second part of your Bible, the New Testament part. Ephesians chapter 2, this is beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, as for you, you, all of you, all of us, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh And following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. If you kind of glance back up at the end of chapter 1, Paul ends chapter 1 by talking about Jesus and And the fact that he is full of power and strength and and he's been exalted to heaven and he he sits in a position with God, next to God, reigning over all things. There's this glorious picture of Jesus. So everybody's eyes are on this picture of Jesus. And then as he starts chapter 2, he shifts the focus from Jesus to us. And, 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 And his words aren't. Our job is to kind of earn our way up to where Jesus is. That's not his message. His message is not Jesus is high and lifted up and you've got to kind of climb the ladder to get up there by doing good things. No, Paul Paul says Jesus is (laughs) above all things. he, He reigns in strength and power. He is exalted over all things. You know what you are? You're dead. Paul says. You're dead, you're spiritually dead. You have no life. You, you have no abilities. You, you have no strength. How many good things can dead people do? None. How much can a, a dead person earn for themselves? Nothing. Jesus is high and lifted up. You, all of us, all of us are spiritually dead. We can't do anything to earn the love and grace and the gift of God. We're spiritually dead. And the reason we're spiritually dead is our disobedience to God. Those principles and commands and laws, we don't live by them. We break them. We step outside of the parameters that God wants for our life, and that separated us from God. We have a sin nature that causes us to run away from what God wants for us, a sin nature that we have all received since the beginning of time that separates us from God. Paul says, you're trying to gratify your cravings and desires without regard for what God wants? We're under the power of the devil is who he's describing, the power of the world, a world that moves away from God. That's what we're living under. We have no ability in and of ourselves to move towards God. Jesus is high and lifted up. You're dead. You have no way to get to him. And then he says, verse 4, But into this situation, Jesus exalted, you and I spiritually dead, but because of God's great love for us. Not because you did enough good things, not because you've earned it, because God loves us in a way that we can't fully explain. In an overwhelming way, God's heart goes out to His creation, to us. God's love is extended to us. If you think of salvation, if you want to be in relationship with God, salvation doesn't begin with what I do, it doesn't begin with what you do. Salvation begins with who God is, full of love, full of mercy, full of kindness. It begins with who God is and what God has done. The story of the Bible doesn't begin with, I'm separated from God, but I'm going to do enough good things. The, The story of the Bible begins with, you're spiritually dead and separated from God, and God's love can make you alive. God's goodness, his kindness, his mercy can bring you to life spiritually. Paul goes on, "But because of his great love for us God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It's by it's by grace. It's not anything else." It's not your ability to balance the scales. It's not your ability to keep the commands. It's not your ability to do good things. It is God's gift to you. And God doesn't want you to pull out $30 and try to pay Him for it. If you tried that, this earning our way to God, it would be like someone giving you a brand new Porsche, Okay, which isn't going to happen today. But if after the service you walked outside and there was parked with Bonnie's name on it, Porsche. And Bonnie said, Oh, thank you so. My hair, can I pay you for that? I got $10. I got six actually. You got $6, not $10. Yeah, listen. That's what our efforts are like compared to the holiness and greatness of Jesus. It's like... Offering $10 for a brand new Porsche. When when God is offering us forgiveness and grace and salvation and heaven and eternal life, my effort is like trying to compensate somebody $10 for a brand new Porsche. It just doesn't measure up. It just doesn't add. I'm never going to get there with $10. I've never owned, driven a Porsche. I'm fairly certain nothing on a Porsche costs $10, much less the whole thing. God saying, no, no, I love you with an overwhelming love that you don't even fully understand right now. And I'm not asking for your $10 or your $30. I'm not asking for you to try to earn it. I am giving this to you because I love you, because you matter to me, because my mercy is great in salvation. God acts out of His mercy, not out of our deserving. He acts out of His mercy. It's because He's good and loving. That's how, that's why He acts towards our salvation. Not because we earned something. Not because our $10 measured up to something. Not because we climbed the ladder or we got enough Galaga points. No, it's because of His mercy that God loves us and and. Don't miss the fact that this is the only option for salvation according to the gospel, according to the Bible. It's not receive the gift, A, or see if you can work hard enough for it, and you might get there. Like, there's not a B. There's not a, well, try and see how well you do. Now all of our efforts amount to nothing. The Old Testament says they just amount to dirty rags. To nothing, nothing of value, nothing. You don't measure $10 towards a Porsche. Your whole life trying to be good. It doesn't measure up to the greatness of God. It doesn't cause God to forgive your sins. That's a gift of God's grace through Jesus who lived and died and rose again for you. And you can't pay for it and you can't earn it. And you can't do enough to gain it. You just have to receive it with gratitude. And even though this is the core of the gospel... This is the very heart of what the Bible tells us. I'm just concerned that many people, even who attend church, still misunderstand this. Many people who attend church are still under the mentality of, I'm just going to try to do as good as I can and hope that God's okay with it. I'm just going to try to do more good than bad and hope that when I stand before God, He'll, He'll let me in. That's just not the way any of this works. There's not all of these options for getting to heaven. The only option is you and I realizing we're dead, we're separated from God, we cannot save ourselves, we cannot earn our salvation, we are completely at the mercy of God's love and forgiveness and grace. He has to do it all. He has to do everything. It is by grace you have been saved means that coming to know Christ, to being, being reunited with our heavenly Father is me recognizing that I'm dead in disobedience and only God can make me alive. And God chose to do that by sending His Son who would live and die and rise again to make me alive. Paul goes on in verse 6. And God, He not only makes us alive, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God gives us that position that Jesus has because He sees us through His Son. We're now His children. He gives us that place, that priority. He raises us up from being dead To being seen by God as worthy of heaven because of Jesus. Worthy of grace because of Jesus, not because of me. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In the world that is to come. In the future age, that's what Paul's talking about here, in, we're going to get to heaven one day. And when we get to heaven, we're not all going to be high-fiving each other because we made it there. If That's your picture of heaven. It's not going to happen. We're not going to get to heaven and go, oh, I'm glad you made it, and you did enough, and you made it, and you did some really good things, and I can't believe you made it. But wow, good for you. You must have pulled it out in the end. But hey, you're here. Way to go. We're all here. Paul says, that's not what heaven's going to look like. You're going to get to heaven. And you know what we're all going to be talking about? How unbelievable the grace and kindness of God is that any of us got here. And we're going to understand grace and mercy even more when we get to heaven. What's going to be on display when we get to heaven is not you or me or our story. What's going to be on display is that it was God's grace to get all of us here. It was God's kindness. It was the way he showed his mercy to us. It was his gift to us that we could not earn that got any of us here. And then Paul repeats himself in verse eight, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul is saying, I want you to put aside this Thought that you have to earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. That you have to do enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. It is by grace you have been saved. It is the only way into heaven is to throw yourself on the mercy of God through Jesus who lived and died and rose again. So would you rather spend your whole life trying to earn something that you are incapable of earning? Would you rather spend your whole life trying to get a high enough score and you're never going to come close? Or would you rather just accept what God's wanting to give to you today? What God's already paid for. He's already done all of the work and today, this moment, if you have never received him into your life, God wants to give Jesus to you. I can tell you, a a true encounter with Jesus will change your life. It will change your life. Change everything about your future. Certainly change everything about your your eternity. Paul goes, we won't read it, but right after verse 8, uh, right after verse nine, Paul says, "Look, you're you're created. God brought you to life because he he has good stuff for you to do. He has purposes and plans for your life, and and you're not going to do those things to up your score. You're not going to do those things to get into heaven. You're going to do those things because you've been radically changed by God and you've entered into His kingdom mission here." On this planet, God has things for you to do. God wants to change your life. The the second half of Ephesians 2 is all about how God wants to use our changed lives to reconcile people who used to be enemies. He talks about racial reconciliation, cultural reconciliation. Paul says, look, there are people who used to call each other names, but they've been changed by Jesus and God's bringing them together all around the globe. God will change your life. God will make things different in your life. Jesus will change you. Jesus won't fail you. There are a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus who have failed me. I have never been failed by Jesus. I have failed a lot of people as someone who claims to follow Jesus. I have failed a lot of people on this planet. Jesus has never failed anyone. He not only gives us the gift of salvation, but He gives us us Himself to lean on, to be with us, to walk with us through life. So would you rather? Would you rather attempt a religious exercise in trying to be better and completely failing at it? Or would you rather just receive the good gift that God wants to give you of salvation today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I I am concerned that as religious as people may be, or our country may be, or you may be, I'm concerned that there is still this mentality of, well, I'm just, I'm going to try my best and hope God's good with it. But that's not the gospel. That's not how we get to heaven. That's not how our life is changed through Jesus. Our life is changed. When we agree that we can't earn our salvation, we have to receive it from God who paid for it through Jesus. He did everything necessary for your salvation and your eternal life through His Son. His Son took your place for your sins and your punishment, and you can't add anything to it. You can just receive it. If that hasn't happened to you, I want to encourage you to receive God's gift of grace today. you can tell Him in your own words that you are aware of your own disobedience to Him. That you're spiritually dead and you need to be made alive in Christ. That you trust that Jesus' death and resurrection... Washes away your sins. Makes you right with God. And you want that to count for you. By receiving his gift of salvation. If you've never done that. Today's the day. If, if you've been misguided. By an idea. That you just do the best you can. And hope it all works out. It's not true. It's not possible. God did everything for our salvation in Jesus. You just have to receive it. So if you've never received it, let today be the day. Let today be the day that you just embrace the gift of salvation that God wants to give you. God, I pray all across this room, people who are new to church, hardly ever attended church, those who have been in church their whole life, We're all tempted toward this view of you that says, I just got to try to do the best I can and hope it's enough. Your word tells us that we are saved by grace, by the gift from you. Change lives, change hearts, change minds today. That we would stop trying to earn our salvation and we would trust you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This concept, this principle, this truth is so important to our faith. That before Jesus left to go back to heaven, he told his followers, I want you to do something tangible on a regular basis to remind you that your salvation has been paid for. Everything necessary for you to be right with God and go to heaven one day has already been done when Jesus died and rose again. And it's the Lord's Supper. It's when we consistently, regularly take the bread and the cup to be reminded Jesus paid with His life for our salvation. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. So that we can't do anything to add to that. As we close, as the band sings the song of worship over us, I'm going to read a scripture and pray, and then I I want you to spend a moment in prayer and then receive the bread and the cup that's on your seat. If there's not one close to you, then just move around and get it when the band starts in just a moment. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if Jesus has changed your life, we want you to celebrate that today. Paul writes For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. until he comes as the band sings we're going to proclaim the Lord's death and the gift of eternal life that it is to us God we thank you for this gift to the life death resurrection of Jesus the broken body the spilled blood for the forgiveness of our sins we rejoice in that today We can add nothing to it. We can just receive your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.